Hello, and welcome back to the AI Insiders podcast, the flagship podcast of open, then not open, then open again, AI. No, wait, not open. No, 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 open, open again, wait. If you don't get this reference, then this podcast is for you. And if you do get this reference, then this podcast is for you. Because either group will especially appreciate the importance of understanding the humans behind AI. Which is why, no matter who you are, I'm glad you're taking some time to join us here and come along with me to learn more about some of the humans behind AI at ISI, that is the Information Sciences Institute. Hi, I'm Adam Russell. I'm the director of the AI division at the Information Sciences Institute here at University of Southern California. And I'm your host for the AI Insiders podcast. On this podcast, I continue to test my hypothesis that if we want to know more about AI, where it might be headed, how it might impact us, we ought to start with understanding the people who are in the AI trenches, so to speak, because they're just as interested in trying to understand the world we're moving into, and they have the chance to try and help make sure it ends up being a better world for all of us. So I'm taking this opportunity to talk with some of these humans, whom I'm proud to call my colleagues, to learn more about not just what they're doing, but why they're doing it. And maybe in the process, have them give us a glimpse of what kind of journey they're on as a clue to the journey we're all on. Maybe. So today I'm fortunate to have as our fellow traveler, Mayank Kadrawal. He's a research assistant professor of industrial and systems engineering at the Viterbi School of Engineering here at the University of Southern California. And I'm glad to say a principal scientist at ISI. Mayank, welcome. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. Uh, we're going to get into a whole lot of stuff uh, about you, uh, but I always want to pause up front and give you the opportunity to do something I've always wanted to do, and that is to go back in time. Uh, there are many things I would do differently, but in this case, I'm taking you back in time, and I'm introducing you to your 10-year-old self. And I'm going to sit back and watch you explain to your 10-year-old self, what are you doing in AI? And we'll go from there. Oh, man. Well, I would tell my 10-year-old self that I am trying to build a Star Trek computer uh, that I was so fascinated by, you know, just watching um, reruns of Star Trek Voyager. And I recognized that that was my first exposure to what we would now call AI. And um, I would just tell my 10-year-old self, we're building the Star Trek computer and we're getting closer to it every day. Okay, so ten-year-old Mayank says, "Well, why? Other than just being cool, why are you trying to build this computer? Like, what is it going to do for us? Um, run spaceships, you know, talk to us, uh, you know, make hot chocolate once we have the replicator, <laughs> um, and just all kinds of things." Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's almost like another human, right? It's a it's a fellow traveler. I know my 10-year-old self would be really excited by that because it just seems so human-like. And there was a human voice, you know, behind mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. uh, computer. Interestingly enough, you know, with Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek, I think it was his wife um, who was the voice of the computer for a very long time. And so he obviously took that very seriously. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Uh, and now I don't, I don't want to suggest that you are... A, a skeptic, you are a scientist, so you have healthy skepticism. Yeah. My suspicion is uh, you may have even had that as a, as a 10 year old. So let me, let me ask on behalf of your 10 year old, um, do, do your 10 year old self and explain how, how that's going to play out. So we're, how are you going to get from 10 to where you are now and, and working on, you know, this amazing, amazing technology? 
Yeah, the 10-year-old self is a weirdo, you know, so he likes to read, he has interesting friends, he's stubborn, you know, he's not the kind of guy who sits at, at the front, you know, of the classroom, not at all. Mm. And so I think the 10-year-old self would be like, well, you know, I think you're going to, you know, just go after a lot of different things. And who knows, you might just land in the right spot. And, uh, you know, that is what happened. So uh, it's just an adventure. You know, I, I I think there's something to be said for being impulsive and uh, mm -hmm. adventurous and not planning too much, you know, in life. And I think the 10-year-old self and I would probably agree on that. <laughs> so. That's interesting. So it sounds like you're willing to, and credit to you, willing to acknowledge a certain amount of, of luck and serendipity has played a role. What, what do you feel have been sort of your biggest, luckiest breaks to date? Um, I think taking the intro to AI class, you know, in mm -hmm. undergrad, because I was not a CS major, I was an ECE major. And um, I just had Star Trek views of AI. I did not know about the rigors and the kind of algorithms, et cetera, that went into AI. And that totally changed my view on this. I was just exposed to this whole new world. And I think that, you know, after that, I got, had discovered something that I really wanted to do and that I didn't know anything about but I enjoyed reading and writing and thinking, and that was the way to go. And I would say that it's those minor moments that you don't appreciate at the time, which mm -hmm, totally mm -hmm. end up changing your life path. Here, here, here. Um, even if we we tend to want to tell a nice linear story in retrospect, I'm, I'm impressed that you 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 aren't. You're okay with like the nonlinearity. Well, well, given uh, that serendipity and luck has, has played such a, uh, an important role in your life, if someone were looking to get into AI what would you recommend they do uh, other than just be lucky? So one thing I would tell them is no matter what field they go into, you know, in computer science, um, math, physical sciences, social sciences, even, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think it's important to have very strong, fundamental, rigorous skills. And I would also recommend that they seek out new experiences, you know, to kind of paraphrase the Star Trek motto. And I, I do think that you do have to get a little bit lucky, but it's also important to be adventurous mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to go into new directions. And I think somehow, you know, I, I just believe that we find our way to the things that appeal to us. I'm thinking about my colleagues at ISI, right? Some of whom mm -hmm. have trained in physics, um, in other fields, some in math, I believe. And so there's there are just so many ways to get into AI. And, and, and anthropology, as it turns out. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, although I'm with you on the rigor part. Well, let me then ask, uh, uh, what do you think is going to be the impact of AI on education? Is it going to help make things worse or meh? Like, what do you, what do you reckon? I'm divided on it, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I, I'm teaching this semester and, uh, you know, we were faced with this decision, right, on what to do about chat GPT. So what should be our policy on chat GPT in the classroom? I decided at the very beginning that I would not stop the students from using ChatGPT and they are free to do that, but with a couple of caveats. So one is that they have to acknowledge ChatGPT whenever they've used it. It's very simple acknowledgement and they are responsible for the content. So they cannot come back and say, well, ChatGPT produced this. And so if you're saying the answer is wrong, then it's ChatGPT's part. We're like, no, you know, you're responsible for the content. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, in the final exam, I am not allowing internet resources of any kind, including ChatGPT. So, so I'm like, you know, if you want to forget all the fundamentals we're teaching you and then just go and return to ChatGPT and use it for everything in your professional life, that is your decision as an adult. But as instructors, you know, we bear the responsibility that we should do our best 
to mm. uh, force you to learn some of the fundamentals. Right. Yeah. So it's an open question of, um, yeah, how to engage, uh, you know, these tools. Uh, th- there are people who feel that uh, with the accelerating uh, nature of AI, let's call it generative AI, particularly, the universities may be losing their relevance to some degree. I, I know we don't believe that, but um, explain to your ten-year-old self, like why, why would, why, why is ending up at a university still a good thing in the future when all we hear about is, for example, open AI, for example. Well, I'm not sure I would actually disagree with the claim that the universities would be losing their relevance if they don't adapt, right? I mean, mm. it's the same for every organization. They do have to adapt. And I feel that sometimes we avoid talking about that at, or acknowledging that at our own peril. I've seen statistics from the Chronicle of Higher Education and other sources showing that a lot of Americans, for example, are starting to believe less and less uh, mm. in the value of a college degree and in the university and they're upset by the levels of tuition um, and so on. And I think that some of those claims need to be taken seriously, right? And so I think these are all moments of self-reflection and we can kind of kick the can down the road, but in the end, we need to ask ourselves, what's the purpose of the university and and why are we in the university and who else do we depend on? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I don't think it will become irrelevant, but the the people, the universities that take on that challenge and answer those questions you know, in a, in a bona fide, you know, good faith manner and adapt mm-hmm. accordingly, mm-hmm. will be the ones mm-hmm. to survive in the long run. What do you worry the most about with AI? I don't worry about it, which is kind of an unpopular <laughs> view. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, um, as I tell my students, there are so few things I believe in, to be honest. But mm-hmm. one of the things I believe in is the human race. And I just think that the human race, despite all, despite all its tragedies, and you know, you as an anthropologist know this way better than I do. We've come this far, and there's no guarantee that we will survive, you know, in the future. But I, I think there's something about us. You know, we are an aggressive species, which is both a good and a bad thing. But we have an instinct for survival, and I do believe that. And we see that we see hints of that in Star Trek. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, where the human beings, right? I mean, when they have to play dirty, they really do play dirty. Even in the, uh, there's there's an episode in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is like inter arma enum sealant legis, which is like a Latin phrase for came from Caesar, that in times of war, the law falls silent. And it's a very dark episode. But to me, what stood out about the episode was that for better or for worse, you know, the human race, when we have to play dirty, we do play dirty because we need to survive. We need to dominate. This is not always a good thing. You know, I'm not saying it is, but I believe in the human race. So I don't believe AI stands a chance against us. And this is kind <laughs> of an unpopular view, but AI has a long way to go to beat the the dark recesses in the human heart. <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. I, I, I'm with you. It's there for a reason, right? Uh, to some degree. So go team human. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, as you point out, humans are perfectly good at killing each other, uh, oftentimes in several ways. Do you, do you think AI has any role to play in terms of our being able to better coordinate and, and deal with what really concerns me is, is empathy at scale. Like there's so many of us yeah. that, that the notion that I'm going to understand and be able to collaborate and coordinate with that many people seems impossible now. And yet it also seems like it's utterly critical if we're going to survive this. 
So, so I think in, in, in big sectors of society, that will happen, especially in civic society. But, mm. you know, I am a follower of Machiavelli, you know, at the end of the day, and I do think that this will be weaponized. You know, there's no question about it. It's only a matter of time. I wish that mm. weren't the case. I want the Star Trek world, you know, where there's no war and poverty. And I do believe eventually we will get there. I think eventually we will get to the Star Trek world where we're using technology for good by and large. But I, I think that AI... There's a reason why these conversations on safety and so on are very important. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think we can just rely on the good graces of human beings in power and different countries and organizations and companies to not fair. weaponize it. You know, they will weaponize it. And so we need safeguards. Um, mm -hmm. And that's an open discussion, right? That what are the safeguards and what should we do? And I am certainly not qualified to opine on that, except that it's it, it needs to be binding and it does need to be taken seriously, but not because AI will, will go rogue. I think mm -hmm. the real reason is human beings will weaponize AI. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I, I do want uh, to, to step in briefly and just say, I, I want to correct you uh, when you say you're not qualified to opine on this. First of all, you're very good at opining, but I think from what I can see from the discussions around the safeties, on, on the contrary, not only are you very qualified to opine and contribute, but we need more people in this discussion, right? We need pe more people like you, in fact, uh, to, to be part of this discussion rather than, to your point, having small numbers of people sort of try to determine that for us. So don't oh, thank you. Don't don't write yourself off, please. I'm <laughs> I want to include you in this discussion. Um, what have you been most surprised by AI? Either something uh, you didn't think it could do that it could do, or you, something you thought it would oh, be. Oh, absolutely. Right yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I remember I was, I was, uh, the whole reason why I came into AI was because I, I, I was attracted by what we now call artificial general intelligence, right? And very quickly, it became very clear to me when I started doing research and then eventually went and did the PhD right after my undergrad that that's just a pipe dream. You know, you have to choose a narrow problem. And so many of us did choose a narrow problem. And then, you know, um, ChatGPT obviously came out and has totally modified my opinion on that, I think, along with many others. But now I think AGI is a very real possibility. I think it's only a matter of when, not if. It could be coming mm -hmm. in less than five years. So I'm excited by that. I think we need a science of AGI, science of AI and science of AGI are intimately related. And, I'm, you know, I would love to be one of the professors who's, who's who guides one of the first students to write a thesis related to AGI. I, I would mm -hmm. love to do that. You know, maybe it will be one of my current students. Uh, I won't be the but, only one. I'm sure there will be others who will go down that path as well, but I would love to be among the first where I can make the claim many years later that that's the thing I'm proud of, that I, you know, helped a student mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. guided one of my first PhD students as young faculty to write an AGI thesis. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big I'm a big fan of thinking of contributions in that way outside of the the normal sort of incentive structures of, of the university because that that's where credit gets due. I, um, this is a, a bit of a thought experiment. Let's say, you know, congratulations, Mike. I'm going to introduce introduce you to your AGI. You've created it, uh, but for some reason, it doesn't really understand the humans it's mm -hmm. dealing with. Uh, and you can give this AGI. By the way, what would you name your AGI? What would I name it? Uh, I don't know. I, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> right. no, there you go. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Because uh, I was also going to ask, what what voice would you give the AGI? I mean, Gene Roddenberry chose his wife. Oh, who, yes. Who, I know you, the answer. You, wait, okay, wait, I'm that? so glad you asked that because your second question primed the first one, right? It's interesting how the brain works. Um, I mean, I would call I would call the AGI White Queen after the, mm -hmm. um, after the Alice in Wonderland. 
you know, and uh, because I was just thinking of Resident Evil, you know, the Red Queen and the White Queen. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so but you're so you're talking talking to the uh, the White Queen, uh, the your AGI, yeah, um, and and you have the opportunity to give it sort of one cultural artifact, a book, a movie, a story that you say like here read read or consume this, and this will give you a deeper insight into into the kind of creatures you're dealing with humans. What what would that be? Well, can I can I answer which book I would not give her? Uh, okay, we start with that. Yeah. The book I would not give her is my most favorite novel of all time, which is The Picture of Dorian Gray. I read that novel when I was in high school, and i that's the moment I became a decadent. So when people actually ask me, well, you know, what's your philosophical take or what are you? Like, are you a pacifist? I, I'm like, no, I'm a decadent. I am a <laughs> hardcore, you know, decadent. No question about it. I've read all the decadent books, you know, Heisman's Against Nature and, and so on. So I would not give the white queen the picture okay. of Dorian Gray. I would not want the AI to become decadent. Decadent. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll answer with a negative, unless you have uh, something that I mean, because you, you you study the humanities a lot. Um, yeah. All right, let me let me ask this question. Um, what what is your sort of own personal relationship with with AI um, right now? Do, do you use it as a tool? I imagine you do. Yeah. Uh, and if you project that out, do you think you could ever have AI as like a a best friend or a no you know, or a teammate or partner? No. Okay. Well, teammate, yes. I mean, in the sense that, you know, like at what point does an assistive tool, right, really start becoming a teammate? And mm -hmm. I, I can imagine taking that leap. But I, yeah, I just, you know, I, I believe in the human race, right? And so I kind of come back to that. And I, this is not a competition between the AI and the human race. But there's something, I think that the, the human spirit, right, does have a spark. I think we see this in all the great religions. I don't see an AI or a society of AIs, a group of AIs even, coming up with something like the world's great religions. Religion is a great source of art, right? And so even if you don't believe in the religion, you don't have to believe in religion. But I hear someone like Steven Pinker, who is otherwise very smart, and some of the, you know, the hyper-rationalists, as I call them, and they mm -hmm. just think that it's it's a bug in the human brain. It's not a feature. I'm like, this is the feature. This is what makes us human. These having yeah. these great works of art and literature and religion. And and you can't just, I, I don't believe that you can feed all of that into a machine and, and get that kind of spark. It can create individual works of art. And that I'm willing to give it that. And I believe in that. But entire movements, you know, like Christianity and Judaism and Hinduism with all their sculptures and uh you know the just the, the works of art and the books and yeah, the religion yeah. and the figures and all of that i i don't see ai creating that a team of ai is creating that yeah is what harari calls uh collective fictions uh yes. it's kind of our, our superpowers as species yes yeah uh you also had me thinking about the nietzsche quote of be, <clears throat> be careful when you're casting out demons because you might cast out the most important and best thing about you yes absolutely well, my, we're, uh, my uncle, we're, we're coming up on time. Uh, I want to get you back to the very important work you're doing, uh, which is to make sure we all end up on the Starship Enterprise in a, in a better world. Um, again, I just count myself completely lucky that I get to have uh, people like you that I get to call colleagues. Uh, and I, I look very forward to continuing to work alongside you as, and let me do my best to uh, quote Captain Kirk here, as we uh, set a chart or set a course for the second star on the right and carry on till morning. Oh, that is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Well, thank you very much. To our listeners, if you enjoy these short podcasts, 
please do that thing. Like us, give us stars, more stars, no more stars, no little, little more stars. Spread the word, send us feedback, and just keep listening. Join us again as well, please, for another episode of AI Insiders, where we will continue to navigate our way through this weird, weird world, trying to do what humans do best, I think, when they face these kinds of challenges, working together as if all our lives depend on each other, because they do. So for now, for the future, fight on. Fight on.